0: Welcome to the Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK, brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk with Malia McNaughton, founder and creative director of Made by Malia.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamalski, editor-in-chief of JCK and JCKonline.com, calling in from Los Angeles, and I'm with
2: Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com calling in from New York City and I'm actually and this is not how it typically is I'm at uh, JCK World Headquarters so I'm very excited it's very nice.
1: Global Headquarters yeah I miss that office that's a
2: yeah it's a nice office do I sound more professional being in the office?
1: Or not? You kind of do actually yeah. I feel like there's <laughs> space around you you're not kind of hemmed <laughs> in in a living room.
2: Not in a like a nine year old's room.
1: Not in a nine year old's room you've got you've got space is it a nice clear day can you see out those beautiful windows of one world
2: uh, I don't I'm not at a window but yes it is a it is a very nice day
1: well i hope to make it to the office myself i've been on a tear of travel as per usual and i just got back from tucson for the gem shows so we'll probably have to catch up on those on our next podcast but i'll just tease you by saying it was a pretty phenomenal show from what i understand most dealers seem to be in ecstatic moods. I heard record show from a number of people, which I think threw me for a loop because I I thought maybe things would be a little quieter this year as 23 sets in. So anyway, more to come on Tucson. Anything else, Rob?
2: No, I'm excited about our guest.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. So I guess it's time to introduce her. So I've had the pleasure of meeting her on a couple occasions. I think her name will be familiar to many of you because she's done a lot of high-profile collaborations. Um, She's a wonderful designer based in New York. Malia McNaughton, founder of Made by Malia, a line of fine jewelry. She's calling in from Brooklyn. One other detail you should all know about her if you don't already is that she is a board member of the Black and Jewelry Coalition, which is a membership association dedicated to the inclusion and advancement of Black professionals in the jewelry, gem, and watch industries. And we'll definitely get to talk to her about BIJC and the latest initiatives this year. Um, But more importantly, we just want to hear about her and her background and some of her jewelry collabs. Malia,
3: welcome. So so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria and Rob. I'm so excited to be on the podcast today. Yay. Well, we always start out and you know, we Rob and I
1: have done our research, so we know a little bit about your background and that you grew up in the Bronx, but we we'd love to hear
3: your story and um, a little bit of how what led you to jewelry. Absolutely. So, yes, I was born in the Bronx. My parents are from Jamaica, and so after a few years we moved to Florida and I went to college at Florida State University where I studied fashion merchandising and product development, which now in hindsight laid the foundation for jewelry actually. So I moved back to New York to pursue my career in fashion. I got a nine to five working for Nicole Miller in their sales and product development department and really just worked really hard because I enjoyed fashion. I knew that's what I wanted to do at a very young age. And so over time, I just I was looking for something a bit more elevated in the creative department. And so I I started working at another fashion brand and then moved on to designing the line. And I kind of fell into jewelry, quite literally. I was looking for a body chain for an event and couldn't find one. And so I designed what I didn't know at the time would be my first piece and put it on Etsy and kind of built the collection organically, and very unconventionally self-taught and all the other things that goes along with that. and allowed my clients to kind of direct where the brand would go.
1: Wow. So the body chain, in, and that was 2014, right? Yeah. Were you designing it initially as just something you wanted to wear to an event? And and then it became something that you thought, well, wait a minute, this, this might actually sell? I
3: sourced some chain. I made it for a music festival that was being held in Philadelphia. I wore it to that music festival and was there with a group of my friends. And I got stopped so many times by people asking me, where did I, you know, at the time, body chains were a very hot ticket item. And so I had one on and not many people had had it at the time. And so I got stopped a lot by people asking, where did I buy it? Where did I buy it? And about after the fifth or sixth person, my <laughs> friends kind of looked at me and was like, you might be onto something. <laughs> like you might be onto something here. Um, until we went out to lunch and they can't help me come up with the name at the table. They're like, you should call it Made by Malia. And the moment I heard it, it was one of those Oprah aha moments where I just, I felt like I had landed in that space that covered all the bases for me. It was creative. It had my name. I could kind of build it and make it whatever I wanted to. So it didn't start out initially as a business idea. It started out as a creative outlet and then it blossomed into what it's becoming now.
2: And the technical aspects of making a piece of jewelry, did it take you a long time to master those or is something that just came naturally cuz it's complicated it's not it is very easy.
3: complicated um i would i would thank my fashion background for that i've always had a knack for figuring things out and kind of reverse engineering things my mom still has a sketchbook that i did when i was very young but i was more clothing focused but obviously my sketches had accessories on them um and my sister went to school for fashion design so we've always kind of gone back and forth in that space and so that lent itself to my development coming naturally to me so it did take me a bit of trial and error it took me about six months to perfect it to feel comfortable to sell it to folks sourcing the right chain and kind of testing it wearing doing wear tests which i'm familiar with because of my fashion background and then kind of putting it into the market and testing it and getting feedback from clients that way so it did come it was a bit of natural instinct as well as just really putting in the work to make sure that i perfected what i was doing
2: and I- you still on Etsy? And how was that starting out on that platform?
3: So my shop is still live on Etsy. I've moved away from the platform from selling actively on there because I've kind of blossomed into wholesale and all these other areas. And so I want to make sure that I'm not on too many platforms that I'm not able to manage effectively. But while I was on there, it was phenomenal. I had quite a few sales on there and it was just really great building a community and people looking. I credit my Customers on Etsy for amplifying my voice and kind of bringing me to market because they trusted what I at the time didn't know was going to turn into anything really. They were just buying into an idea. So that's still dear to my heart. And I hope to do another collection and, and launch it specifically on Etsy. But yes, Etsy was a great launching pad for my brand. And did you
1: start building out? So it started with the body chain, but did you, how, how quickly did you kind of expand
3: into other pieces and other earrings and necklaces and so on? It Took me about a year to start experimenting. I think the next inquiry I got from a client was can I make nose rings like temporary nose rings? And so I made non-permanent nose jewelry and body jewelry, and then someone asked me for a ring, which that ring is still available on my website. It's the boundless ring. That was my first ring in the collection. Um, and so it kind of started to expand very organically based off what I got requests for or custom orders for. And then I started to say, okay, I need to to build an actual suite, a collection. And then that's when the website came along. But I, I really allowed for my clients to be a part of the process. And I brought them into the journey and kind of brought them along with me.
2: One of the things we, we hear a lot is that it's very hard when you're just starting out to get into this industry because you don't necessarily have the personal connections and you know the, the cost of materials and the cost of learning all the skills involved uh, can be a lot. Did you find that and how'd you overcome it?
3: Well, Rob, we're still overcoming.
2: <laughs> no, but um,
3: no, great question. That is definitely a major barrier to entry for emerging, self-taught, whatever the category is. Designers like myself, designers of color, uh, Black designers who don't have that, background or anyone who doesn't share that background of generational access, um, because that's one thing I did learn about the industry very quickly is that it's generational, which is a beautiful thing. I, I love that. I feel like that's one of the reasons why I really want to grow into the industry because it's something that I see as a part of the legacy I can pass on to my future relatives and family. So that's definitely been important to me. And so I would say that it is challenging. And one of the ways that I've overcome that is by being transparent with my clients or, you know, working different pillars of the business so that it can, it can work for me and not against me by being intentional about the type of projects that I take on by releasing smaller capsule collections, but making sure that they're impactful so that I can sell through. And then that can allow me to kind of grow at a more organic pace. Um, so that's one of the ways that I've been able to channel that disadvantage and making it an advantage is just really focusing on the design. And that's one of the advantages I think I have as a smaller emerging designer is that I can spend more time perfecting the designs, like really not rushing to put out product and and making sure that the products have, um, you know, market viability and having clients really be drawn to that. And then that kind of being the catalyst for how I grow the brand over time.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. With over 130 years of experience, the De Beers Institute of Diamonds provides expert online and in-person education across the diamond pipeline. Sign up for their introduction to the four C's workshop, New York City, March 13th, 14th, or 15th. Choose the date that works best for you. This full day in-person course provides hands-on experience in grading, covering each of the four C's. By the end of the workshop, you will be able to handle diamonds confidently and complete top-line assessments of each of the four C's. Save 15% when paying online. Simply visit diamondeducation.debeers.com and use code jckpod underscore 15 at checkout
1: read a few things and listen to another podcast you're on and you talk about your jewels as celebrating the intersection between art, nature and culture, Mm -hmm. which is so, you know, such a beautiful medley of inspirations. But so where does that, how does that play out in real life? Where do you begin the design process and what is that process like for you?
3: So I typically start with the raw materials. Um, so if I'm working with a precious stone, an emerald, or sapphire, or you know diamonds, I will kind of have the raw materials in front of me on my workspace for about a week. And I'll start with inspiration images and nature. I'll spend time in nature. I'll go by water because I'm very inspired by the movement of water and just the movement of nature in general. And so I need to spend time immersed in that environment. And then, you know, once I walk away from it, an idea will come to me. So my design process is very organic. I don't try to force the designs to come to me. And so that, you know, lends itself to its own set of challenges when you have deadlines (laughs) that you need to meet. But I spend time really letting the designs direct me and the natural materials direct me. And then I, you know, will start with just a very rough sketch of a piece. And then I will kind of put it up on the wall, look at it for a day or so and kind of see what else that inspires. And then from there, I'll start to engineer it and do the measurements and make sure that it's, you know, um, structurally sound. And then I'll send it over to, you know, my CAD designer and have them CAD it so I can see what it actually looks like in a 3D form. And then I will follow the next steps in the process of sampling and, and the other steps. But it's a pretty unique process. Um, and, I you know, I have just kind of learned to embrace it because I, I realize this is the natural course of how ideas come to me and it could be weeks that I don't. have an idea. And then one day I'll have a hundred sketches come to me in a row. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I love
1: the vision of you sitting there uh, surrounded by stones at your desk, just stewing on what, what they're trying to tell you, I guess, right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Uh,
2: When you started out, was there any uh, designers that really inspired you and that you consider inspirations?
3: Absolutely. So um, Monique Pien um, was one of them that I actually saw her in a magazine when I was first starting out and I immediately cut out her article. Um, it's still actually on my on my inspiration board because um, she really is a trailblazer. Cheryl Jones has become a mentor, and she's just a phenomenal designer. There's so many others. Uh, Elsa Peretti is one of my all-time um, inspirations. I just I love how she's always revered herself as an artist. Um, And that's something that I've been very intentional about as well. And so she's a major inspiration for me.
1: Mm, Great names. Monique, I haven't heard her name for a while. You just reminded me. She's, yeah, a talented woman. So you have really done... Quite a few collaborations for somebody who's still sort of, you know, pretty new to the industry on the whole. Um, it's been impressive to see how many organizations you partnered with. So, Natural Diamond Council, remind us when it was their Anna de Armas campaign, correct? Yes, 2021. 2021. So, kind of in the thick of the pandemic, tell us a little bit about that. And then, and then also your most recent collaboration with Banter, which I didn't even realize that was the new name of Piercing Pagoda and its new creative director, Grammy nominated rapper and songwriter, artist, Tara Wack. But first tell us, how did the
3: NDC partnership come about? Absolutely. So the NDC uh, partnership came about, they launched the Natural Diamond Council in partnership with Lorraine Schwartz. They launched a emerging designer diamond initiative in 2021 or 2020, going into 2021. And I applied for that initiative because I wanted to get into the fine jewelry space and I was accepted into the program. And after I was accepted, they were Impressed by the sketches that I had uh, submitted for the program, and they approached me to um, commission me for a project they were working on with Anna de Amers for their global ad campaign. And so I had the opportunity to design an eleven-piece collection that was a part of that. And they were very happy with that release. And I was really ecstatic because that was my first diamond collection, and it was a it was a hit across I if I may say so myself, it was a hit across (laughs) the industry because I really utilized all different shapes of diamonds. I experimented, but I made sure that it was still, you know, it still worked across all um, genres that they wanted to reach. And so that collection was a a huge success. So I was very thankful for that opportunity and to have the opportunity to, you know, make my first collection a global ad campaign. I mean, I can't really ask for anything better than
1: that. That's, That's quite a place to start. Yeah. I mean, that's really remarkable. And, you know, she's, what a, you know, great showcase for your work. Right.
3: That, open even more doors? Yes, absolutely. I would say that was definitely my introduction to the fine jewelry space. And that led to other amazing opportunities. I partnered with Banter by Piercing Pagoda, and they were working with the creative director. At the time, they didn't tell me who that was. And then I found out it was Tiara Wack, who I'm a huge fan of. And so I had the opportunity to meet her at a concert concert. And immediately she recognized that I was the designer of the collection and she, you know, was raving about, you know, excited for me to work on the project. And so she really trusted me to create pieces based off her imagination, which is from one artist to another, it can be challenging to have that responsibility, but I was so glad that they trusted me and she trusted me and she was also very happy with the collection. So I in the span of two years I was able to execute two campaigns and they were both rather successful. So I'm I'm very happy about those opportunities. And I had the opportunity to go to the Pearson Pagoda banter store in the Bronx, um, where my family is from and I brought my nieces, my nephews, my sister, we it was just such an amazing experience to walk into the mall and to see the kiosk with pieces that I was responsible for designing. I don't think I I will ever get over that moment that was, you know, if I had an Oscar moment, that was definitely it. Aww. And then I had the opportunity to go to Florida recently to see my mom. I took her to the store. She was trying to sell my pieces to everyone that walked by. <laughs> was like, Pretty to watch um so yeah just having the opportunity to see the collection be presented in 550 stores nationwide oh. i am still in shock by that
1: well done that's so cool congratulations thank you, thank you so
2: much uh you had your jewelry worn on snl i guess yes. Did, were you tipped off on that?
3: I had an inkling, so they did um, reach out, the stylist um, did reach out. It was, um, I, I
2: should say it was Lizzo. Who, who was
3: Lizzo, there. yes. Specifically, Lizzo, the one and only Lizzo. They reached out to borrow a pair of earrings and a few other um, items like rings. And they didn't say for what specific event, but I, I knew it was, you know, going to be something pretty large. And then the night of SNL's airing, I get an email. So thankfully, Greenwich Street Jewelers, who is one of my favorite wholesale partners, they had the earrings at. The store. And so they helped to coordinate to get it to Lizzo. And so once it aired, I got an email from the stylist who emailed me and and them letting them know that it was going to be on the episode. And so that was, I, I mean, I was in my house and I was in disbelief when it came on the screen because I just, I couldn't dream that up in a million years. And to have her wear the earrings on SNL is just something, I have the picture of it in my studio and I look at it every day because it's a reminder of how if you just continue to work on something, it will be noticed, especially if you do good work. And so to have one of the biggest stars of our time wearing my earrings on SNL, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I can top that. I, I don't. I'm not really sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> A lot of, and were they um, remind me which earrings they were? Were they one of your signature styles?
3: Yes. Yeah, so they were actually the uh, wave hoop earrings. They feature channel set baguettes. Um, and I did it in a um, channel set that kind of shows the baguettes from any angle. So they really glistened on live TV. They glistened in the photos. They were really the standout of that taping because you could see them from every angle. So it was just a really awesome moment to see them on TV and on Lizzo. Ugh.
2: And, you know, obviously it was an exciting moment, but does it does something like that uh bike sales? Do people look for the earrings online after something like that happens?
3: It does. Yes. So celebrity placement is very impactful for especially a smaller brand like myself, who is still in the building space of the business, because it really allows a lot of people to have eyes on your piece. So when you know, the stylist or SNL post it, and you repost it, and you know, it's kind of getting a lot of attention in that moment, if you capitalize on that situation, people then come to your site and then that translates to um, sales and just interest in the brand in general. So it does bring eyes to the brand, which is a lot for a small emerging brand. And then it also brings interest to people wanting to see the piece, editors, and then editors, you know, bring it to market. So it definitely is a, a driver of sales in that way.
1: You're also and I because we're we just got our ten minute warning, so I don't want to give short shrift to your work with um, the Black and Jewelry Coalition. You're a board member. Is it your treasurer? Is that right?
3: I am. Yes, I'm the treasurer.
1: I don't think I've ever really heard
3: the origin story. I mean, I know it is a group of women. Is it eight women or nine women? So it's eight women and one gentleman, Reggie Johnson. Um, he's at Signet, and there's nine of us total, and we are from all different disciplines of the jewelry industry. Um, myself and Lisette Scott are the jewelers on the board that kind of lend to the needs of what jewelry designers are looking for. But the origin story of how we came about was 2020 when, you know, we were in the middle of the pandemic. And also there was a lot of incidences with the police and the Black community and George Floyd, you know, that that story you know, hit everyone. And at the time during the pandemic, we were all home and it really struck us all to kind of do something. Um, and so I was approached by Alyssa Jenkins Perez and she messaged me on Instagram and said, would I want to join a conversation about how the industry can be more present in moving our community forward? And I immediately said yes, jumped on the call and that call lasted for about three hours. And we just came up with different brainstorming ideas on how, you know, instead of being called to action in different rooms, you know, people kind of ask us, what can we do? What can we do? We wanted to really formulate plans and strategy on how the industry can be supportive. And so we decided to form a, a formal organization. So Black and Joy Coalition was birthed. And so we've been on calls once a week for about two hours for the last two and a half years, two years. And and it's been phenomenal work. If I can just list everybody's name really quick, it's Lisa Garris, Lisette Scott, Annie Dareska, Alyssa Jenkins Perez, Maya Owens, Reggie Johnson, Nellie Barnett, Adrian Sonago, Malia McNaughton.
2: And what kind of things do you have planned? WJA is known, it has a lot of events and think, do, you, do you expect to do things like that?
3: Absolutely. So last year we had an event called Under the Faceted Sky. And at that event, we were able to partner with New York City Jewelry Week and give out awards for those in the industry that have been impactful. So um, that was a phenomenal event. And so we plan on doing other events like that this year. And we've been collaborating with other industry of organizations to promote other events as well.
1: I mean, I think everybody knows at this point, those letters, B-I-J-C, in just a short time. I feel like I see members of the of the group here and there will there be a presence at jck las vegas for example
3: yes we have plans to return to jck um, vegas this year and we're working on the planning for that as we speak so yes we will be there fantastic you know we've talked a little bit about some of the you know
1: how you overcame some of these barriers to entry how you're still overcoming some of them any tips for younger designers or people who may listen to this and think god i really wish i could achieve what malia
3: achieved any points that you'd say you know Know, do this? <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. Um, trust your instincts, trust your gut. I, I, I really credit my intuition and my gut instincts for carrying me to this point. From that day, I decided to, you know, make that body chain to the to now where, you know, I decided to sell it. That was all gut instinct. There was no roadmap for me. I just trusted that what I was creating was worth sharing. So I always say, like, don't wait to have it all figured out. Just kind of go and let it kind of lead your path. So anyone listening that is on that path, I would just say go for it because you never know where you can end up.
1: Do you still sell that? Do you still wear that body chain that
3: you started out with? You know, great question, Victoria. I actually am. I have it still. And I'm actually in the process of making a new one, like a new version of it that I will Where you know going forward
2: do you have a favorite piece
3: oh man i would say probably my progression hoops those would be my favorite piece i
1: know and i know exactly which ones you're talking about because they are
3: very they're great they're super
1: distinctive and they yeah they scream made by malia which is exactly what a designer
3: in this industry should hope for
2: any, anything else you want people to know or you want to tell
3: people? Thank you so much to everyone in the industry that's been super supportive to my journey to this point, And I look forward to continuing to make strides in the industry. So thank you.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Malia. I hope our paths cross soon.
3: I hope so, too. I will look forward to that. Same, same. Take care. All right.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you'll join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.